Good morning. Good morning. My name is Thomas Brooks, and I'm in sixth grade now. Yeah. I am grateful for the privilege of reading scripture here this morning. As we continue to look at the Psalms and spiritual songs of scripture that shape our lives, today we read a psalm that focuses on the never-ending mercy and steadfast love of the Lord. I invite you to follow along in Psalm chapter 118, verses 1 through 14 in your own Bibles, or look up to the screens as I read the passage aloud. Hear the word of our hear hear the word of the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For he is steadfast, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man, what can man do to me. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I will look in triumph to, on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me in all in the name of the Lord I cut them off. They surrounded me surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Now please join me in call and response printed on the screens. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower on of the field. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word, the word of our God endures forever. forever. Thank you, Thomas. Let's give Thomas a round of applause. Way to go, Thomas. Sixth grade's a good year. We hope that you have a great sixth grade year. Who else has just finished a school year? I see some college kids. Yeah, okay. We got some master's degrees. We got some kids. We're glad that you're here on this summer Sunday. We see that our Dominican Republic trip has returned. Welcome back. Yes. We will hear more from them soon, and we're glad. Um, We have another mission trip coming up to Alaska in just a few short weeks, so keep praying for all of those who are scattered, serving the Lord, and doing what he's called them to do um, in his name. My name is Becky. I'm glad to be here with you guys today. We are in a really cool summer series, and if you missed last week, we're diving right in. You can see, like, tape deck. Anybody grew up in the, like, 90s? Yeah? I know. Do you still have some in your car? Anyone? tape deck. Um, So we're doing a song series where we're looking at making a joyful noise and how the songs of scripture not only impacted those living at the time that they were written, but also impact us in our hearts and our minds. And you'll see, we don't just pay Callan for nothing. 
That guy right there, he like reads the scriptures. Yeah, he lets the Holy Spirit work in him and the band to come up with songs that weave in and out through scripture. So you're gonna see some of the words we're looking at in our scriptures today, we've already sung about them. And we will respond to God's word in a few minutes after the sermon with more singing. So as we sing, we see God's word come to life through music. Who here loves to sing? Yeah, I love to sing. Many people call me powerful, not necessarily tuned or whatever. I love, like, I have a very strong voice. I can sing very loudly. It's just not always quite on key, but singing to me is, like, fun. Like, it feels good, right? So we're grateful for people like Callan and John and Jess and Yaz, all of them who can actually sing. So before we dive into our scripture, I'd love to pray. So would you bow your heads with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we've been looking at, last week, Mitchell helped us look at Mary's song, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, as she sang to the Lord when she found out that she was pregnant with Jesus, the Christ. And we saw how those words, those those songs of scripture shape us as we encounter unexpected things in our own lives. We talked about music as it can, we can hear a song and we're immediately taken back to a different time in our lives, right? You hear the first couple beats of a song and suddenly you know every single word and you're like, how do I know the words to this song? You may have heard it once or twice. Preston and I went on a youth retreat and we jammed to like all the 90s what was it? Natasha Bedingfield and yeah, all the good stuff. Taylor Swift, of course. But all of a sudden you realize how much in your brain is stored lyrics, lyrics to any kind of song. We also see how music kind of gives us an identity, right? You might be like a kicker country girl who loves anything country and you wear boots and it like matches who you are and it like dwells in your heart. Or you might like heavy metal rock or band or hair or whatever. I don't know, because that's not my jam. Um, But whatever it is, you kind of live into the identity. Maybe you're just like an eclectic mix of music, and you are happy to listen to anything. But music really is a part of our lives. We hardly go a day without hearing a song at any point in in our day, whether it's through a commercial, driving to work, wherever it is, we always hear a tune, right? But scripture is filled with songs. Unfortunately, our brains, when we read, we don't read in song. Maybe musicians do. When they read a lyric, when they read something, they think of it in lyrics. They think of it with a tune behind it. I do not do that. I think of words, right? And when I read, I don't hear music. But our scriptures are full of music. And when we see today, as Thomas read for us, a beautiful psalm, Psalm 118, we see God's powerful word forming us for wartime. You might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I don't serve in the military. I am not at war here in San Antonio, Texas. We do not live in a war-torn place, but we are all at war. We'll dig into that here in a moment. God's word is forming us. So this Psalm 118, it's a rich and complex psalm. It was likely written during wartime. We don't know for sure who the author of this psalm is, although it's likely King David. David wrote many of the psalms. It's just not explicitly clear in this one. Because of the context and the content of the psalm, we see that this psalm is not just one voice crying out to God. We see that this is a corporate song sung by many. 
It's not just me in my quiet time praying and singing and listening and, and talking to God, but it's a corporate congregation of voices coming together. The, song is, the psalm is quite long, but I, we didn't read all of it today. We just read the first 14 verses, but I do encourage you to go home and read it. It's 29 verses. It'll take you less than a minute. And think about how many parts of this psalm you already recognize. Many pieces of this psalm, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That comes later. We see, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We've heard that. We waved palms a few months ago as we proclaimed the words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as we talked about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I think you may be surprised how much of this psalm you already know without knowing it. That's what music does to us. You may have learned some of these songs as a child growing up, whether you grew up in church or not. You may have heard these songs sung before. An interesting tidbit about this psalm, to get a little nerdy on you, Psalm 118 is part of what we call Hallel songs. Hallel meaning worship. These the, the, Psalm 118 is the end of five psalms that were sung in worship by the Jewish people at festivals when they came together to celebrate the Passover meal. Psalm 113 to 118, all five of those psalms, two of them sung before they ate, three of them sung after they finished eating as worship to God as part of their corporate singing together. They would have been well known by the Jewish people, studied and sung and celebrated together. They would have been very common, and they culminate in this Psalm 118. The language points to Israel's history of slavery and freedom, of God's steadfast love, his steadfast faithfulness, and his promises for the people of Israel. The faithfulness of God as he brought the Israelites out of slavery and into the promised land. And then as he continued to fight alongside them in battle as they claimed the land that was promised to them as their own, God's covenant promises were true and faithful and real and they didn't, God did not let his people down. Even after his own people turned against him and were grumbling and bored and frustrated and all the different things the Israelite people did as we read in scripture, God remained faithful. The first verse of this psalm is the call to worship. You may have been coming to church here forever and you're like, why do we do that call to worship at the beginning of the service? You know, we stand up and we say words of scripture together. Why do we do that? Is that just something that's fun to do? There's a reason. As we're called together as a people of faith, we say the words of the call to worship. It gathers us. It centers our hearts and our minds on whom we have come to worship. It helps us get out of our distracted modes that we've been running around, getting coffee, getting to church, parking, coming in. And when we stand together and say these words in unison, we are called together for one purpose. We are called together for one purpose, not because we have to, not because it feels good or it's comfortable. I really like it here. They have the best coffee in town, whatever it might be. No, we're called together to glorify and worship God. So the first verse of this psalm is a call to worship. We respond to God's love, calling us together with a thanksgiving, with a praise. And the words go like this. The Lord is good. 
Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. If you leave here today and you only remember one thing, I'm talking, talking, blah, blah, blah. We sang some songs, whatever, whatever. I met some people. One thing, this is it. Open your brain and receive it. Are you ready? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. This not only opens the psalm, it also closes the psalm. We see this repeated throughout the psalm. The repetition is something to take note of and to say, oh, so I guess they want us to know that his steadfast love endures forever. We give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. We just sang it a few moments ago. We just sang it together. For your love endures forever. Even when yours, when your faithfulness doesn't last forever, when your love for God is on thin ice and you're wandering in the wilderness, guess what? God's faithfulness and his love endures forever. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, God's love endures forever. So in these next three verses, verses 2, 3, and 4, we see sort of a roll call. The psalmist is going, okay, I've said it. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Now, Israel, Israel, your turn. He calls out to Israel, the people of God, God's chosen people who have been faithful and unfaithful, some, and who God has pulled out of slavery and delivered them into the promised land. And he's calling out, Israel, say the thing again. Proclaim that God's steadfast love endures forever. Then in verse 3, the house of Aaron. These would have been the priests, the people that led the religious leaders. They're they're also to proclaim the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever. And in verse 4, those who fear the Lord, the ones that are pious, that come to church, that are people that show up and are religious, they're followers of God at the temple. They too are to proclaim the everlasting, enduring faithfulness and steadfast love of the Lord. It's as if we sat here and we're like, okay, children, you say it. Youth, your turn. Parents, grandparents, say it all together. In our call to worships, we do a call and response. Leader, people, leader, all. We're all together saying the words that God has given us to bring us into worship. So that's how the psalm begins. It's corporate. It's together. It's everyone called upon to do it, to proclaim the love of the Lord. The way this psalmist calls on these three groups, it shows that this is a public profession of faith. It's not just personal. We see some personal parts of the psalm, but we see a corporate song. And remember, this song was sung. It was sung together to a tune. We're established that everybody's giving thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love, but now we see why. So verse 5, we jump to what's going on that is causing them to need to proclaim the steadfast love of the Lord. In verse 5, the psalmist writes, Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. Has anyone ever been distressed? Right? When we are just pushed to the brink, when we are just in a place of stuck pain, brokenness, we're surrounded, and we're, we're reaching out for help. The psalmist, in my distress, I called to the Lord. He's been persecuted, and in that persecution, he cries out, and the Lord actually listened and set him free. He was stuck and in distress, and the Lord freed him from that pain. This is salvation. 
Salvation is all about being chained, being in prison, being, being you know, held back somewhere. And when we are freed, we get to live in the openness of life and light. We are no longer bound to what was holding us back or persecuting us or distressing us. God has the power to set his people free. The writer continues in verse 6, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord's on my side. He's been distressed and persecuted by the people in his life. And he calls out to the Lord and he says, you've answered me. You've set me free. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Man can do nothing. Man can do nothing to him now that God is on his side and has saved him from his distress. Verse 7, the Lord is on my side. Again, he repeats it. The Lord is on my side. He is my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. God shows up when we call out and cry out to him. We might not feel it. We might not want to admit it. We might want to stand on our own will and power. And yet when we are at that edge... At the brink of distress, when we just see no way out, there is only one place to go. The Lord's enduring and steadfast love stays forever. He expands this point in verses 8 and 9. He talks about how it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm in a hard spot, I immediately call my parents right? I mean, I still do. I'm 37 years old and my mom is right there. I mean, seriously, if you run into car trouble, like who do you call? Somebody else. You're not like, God, just fix the car. Although if you've seen the chosen, they like pray over the car and then the car like starts up and they're like, yes. So, but seriously, not the chosen. What's the one with the guy? Thank you. Jesus story revolution. Thank you. Um, They're the same actor. That's why I said chosen. Um, Anyway, so, but yeah, you're in car trouble. You're in distress. You got to call somebody. You want somebody to come and help you. I'm going to call my parents until the day I die. Even when they're in heaven, I'm going to keep calling them. But seriously, we call on the people around us because when we're in need, we call to who's there horizontally to come and help us. But he reminds us here, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. When we are in distress, when we are in battle, let us not look to the people around us. Now, it's still good. I mean, you have parents, you have people to help you. You need community. That's why we come together and do this, because we can't do it on our own. But when we look to people for salvation, for true life and death forever, eternity— we will be let down. We need to look to the one true everlasting hope that's offered to us through Jesus Christ. The people around us cannot save us. I'm sorry to say political leaders can't save you, teachers can't save you, and pastors can't save you. Only the one true God can save you. This may take us a lifetime to learn as we continue to cling to what's right in front of us, but God's steadfast love endures forever. Let us turn to God instead of people for help in times of trouble, just as the psalmist has done. 
So in verses 10 through 13, he continues to give us some details of what this distress is all about. We see we've, he's, cried, he's given worship. He's been called into worship. We love the Lord our God because he's, his love is enduring. We see that he's in distress. In verses 10, 11, 12, and 13, he says, all nations surrounded me. Anyone ever been on the floor and had like five two-year-olds come and surround you? Don't, don't volunteer in children's if you don't like that because it's either like gives you great feelings or you're like suffocated and please give me some space, right? When you're surrounded, you feel pinned up into a corner like there is no way out. All nations surrounded me and in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. Now he said surrounded three times. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees, Anyone allergic to bees? Like, yikes. Even if you're not allergic, that is not a good picture, Being unless you're like in one of the suits. But surrounded me like bees, and they went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. We see some details here of some distress. It makes sense. It's not just he's complaining about a bad grade or that he didn't get the job he wanted or that his car broke down. He's literally in a life and death situation. This group of people, this nation is being oppressed and surrounded. We must pay attention. He says this four times, surrounded, surrounded in just three short verses. This distress is absolutely legitimate. Nations are surrounding him. Nations are coming around him, and he is feeling in distress. Yet each time, what does he say over and over again? In the name of the Lord, he cut them off. Not in the name of, my, of Becky, not in the name of, you know, my own effort and strength, not in the name of the strong army that I have, not in the name of the nation that I come from or my race and ethnicity, not in the name of my money, not in the name of my king or leader or pastor, not in the name of any human being was I able to cut them off. But in the name of who? The Lord. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. It's only possible because of the Lord's strength and the Lord's doing. So through all of this distress, the Lord continues to show his steadfast love and faithfulness. And the, the psalmist survives the battle only because of the Lord. And how does he respond? Verse 14, he says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He praises God. He immediately goes from describing his distress to giving praise and thanksgiving to God. It is out of gratitude for the work of the Lord that we are drawn to give thanks and praise. It's almost like he can't help but give thanks to God. Ever, be so, ever been so relieved that you're like, oh, praise God. Oh, my gosh. And you just feel like that. You almost can't help but saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving for walking me through that. If we fast forward to verse 17, we didn't read that this morning, but we see the psalmist saying that I shall not die. He's literally talking about life and death. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has saved him from death and destruction, whether by the hands of enemies in battle or by spiritual enemies and darkness that the psalmist face in, faces instead of death, there is life. 
And the life is not just so that he can be happy and comfortable. The life is so that he can profess what has happened to him, profess it in the name of the Lord to tell everybody what Jesus or what what the Lord has done for him. We'll get to Jesus in a second. We're getting there. This is why we sing. We sing not only for our own groundedness so that we can remember these words in our hearts because all of those words that we learned as children come back to us. When we sing these songs, you might not remember the passage we read today, but I bet you'll remember that song. It'll be an earworm all day long. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. We'll sing it over and over in a minute. Goodness of God, the goodness of God. We sing these songs so that they ground us, but also so that we can share it with other people. When it's grounded so deeply inside of us and we see that God has helped us in our distress and we tell other people about what he's done for us, we're doing what the Lord has called us to do. We live so that we can share God's faithfulness so others can see. So this is where the psalm gets really cool. This is where we see God's total plan from the beginning of time all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament and his promises for the future. Are you ready? This is good. You're going to like this. Okay. So remember how at the earlier in the service or in the sermon, I talked about how these Hallel songs were sung after Passover. This is a Jewish festival celebrated every year. They came together to remember what God had done for the Israelite people freeing them from slavery in Egypt. Fast forward to Jesus. Jesus is sitting at his last meal with his disciples, a Passover meal, right? He's sitting there. They're celebrating the Jewish ritual. They are together eating, and he's instituting a last supper. The disciples, they know it's the Passover. This is what we do. So Jesus, on this last supper, he celebrates God's, uh, the Passover, and he celebrates God's faithfulness, all the while anticipating his arrest the next day, his crucifixion, or his arrest that day, his crucifixion the next day, and his death. And they sing this psalm together. Jesus and his disciples come together to celebrate the faithfulness of the Lord and his steadfast love as he anticipates the nations surrounding him. Literally, people tomorrow will surround him like bees as they spit on him and mock him and carry him up to the cross. Jesus sings these words from this song, that the Lord is my salvation. I shall not die, but I shall live. Jesus is foreshadowed even in the writing of these Psalms. We see Jesus all throughout scripture. Jesus was at war with the world. They killed him. Sinners killed him, but he didn't stay dead. He is alive because of the steadfast faithfulness and love of the Lord. All in God's great purposes for our redemption. This psalm is messianic. So when we read it, we see Jesus. And we see Jesus singing with his disciples. And we see Jesus as the one who frees us into salvation. Reminding us of God's everlasting love for us through the death of his son, Jesus. 
See how it connects? Isn't this cool? You have to go tell your friends, right? Don't just read the Psalms as if they're dead and old. Pretend like you're singing them in your head and then be like, yeah, Jesus sang this song. Me too. We sing it together. God had a plan for the salvation of his, free, of his people. It included Egypt, his people freeing from Egypt. It included all of the fights and the battles they had to get to to get to the promised land. It included the freedom from the Babylonian captivity and from Roman captivity. If you read the Bible, it's all history in there. You can see all that. It's really cool. And ultimately, freedom from the power of sin and death because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So we see that this psalm the psalmist writes about war. We don't necessarily experience war day to day in our personal individual lives. We have war-torn countries and we pray and cry out to God for salvation. But in our own lives, we face darkness and sin every single day. We are confronted constantly by the, the schemes of darkness. We are at war in our lives. I hate to think of war. I don't, I'm not usually like, yeah, I'm in war and spiritual warfare. I don't talk about that a lot, but we are. And it says, Paul writes in Ephesians 6 about the battle we face every day. He writes this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, not like the psalmist here, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Paul instructs people, if you know this passage, you probably learned it in a song, so there's that. But we can't fight it on our own, so we must have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. When we're grounded in the words of scripture, when we look to the truth of Jesus, we are ready for battle. Sin is still present in our lives, but the Holy Spirit is at work. And the promise is this. Are you ready for the promise? The promise is that sin will not win. Darkness will not win. Jesus has promised to return, and all powers and principalities will be under his feet. He is on the throne now, and he will be forever. And so while we wait we listen, we cling to the scripture, we feel the spirit guarding us in our hearts and our lives, and we confess to other people proclaiming the goodness of God when we hit those dark spots. We need people to help us through, but we seek refuge in the Lord. Darkness will not win. Light will overcome it through the power and promises of God, and his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. So as we end here, I'm going to invite the band to come forward. I want you to think about what the battle is that you're going through right now. What are you surrounded by? What are the bees that are surrounding you right now? Where do you feel stuck and broken and scared and covered in darkness? God is there with you. You are not alone. And the steadfast love of the Lord is going to endure even past this moment, even past the next day and the next day and beyond into eternity. We face an enemy, but we have a power stronger than that enemy. 
So as we close this service today, we have a chance to respond to the goodness of God. We're going to sing a couple of songs, and we're going to look at how these words of Scripture are translated into song and how we can sing out loud, whether we get it up here or in our hearts, in our bodies. Let the, let the Spirit consume your hearts. We're going to worship together, not so that we can feel good, not so that you can get Holy Spirit tingles, even though the Holy Spirit's at work, don't get me wrong, but it's not for our sake, right? Try to take yourself out of the moment of worship and just remember that there is one reason why we're here, and that is to worship God. So our band's going to lead us. We're going to have the prayer team come forward. So if you're a prayer person, we're going to have people on both sides. Part of our worship is prayer. As we've said earlier, part of our worship is giving. Part of our worship is singing. Part of our worship is reading scripture. So we are in a time of worship. And to God only be the glory. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your steadfast love that endures forever. We give thanks to you, O God. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Let First Pres San Antonio say his steadfast love endures forever. May we worship you, O Lord, you and you alone. Thank you for your steadfast love. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.